and welcome to Sticky from the Inside, the employee engagement podcast that looks at how to build stickier, competition-smashing, consistently successful organisations from the inside out. I'm your host, Andy Gorham, and I'm on a mission to help more businesses turn the lights on behind the eyes of their employees, light the fires within them, and create tons more success for everyone. This podcast is for all those who believe that's something worth going after and would like a little help and guidance in achieving that. Each episode, we dive into the topics that can help create what I call stickier businesses, the sort of businesses where people thrive and love to work and where more customers stay with you and recommend you to others because they love what you do and why you do it. So if you want to take the tricky out of being sticky, listen on. I've said this before, but we live in unprecedented times. Change is more rapid than ever before, and it's always on. One thing that doesn't really seem to have changed in a couple of decades, though, is the percentage of employees who would count themselves as engaged at or in work. And I make that distinction carefully there. And why is that? Well, after all the evidence that is now presented to us of how important employee engagement is with regards to sustainable performance and success, many organisations still haven't moved the needle on it at all. Some of that, I think, has to do with the ineffective way some leaders still behave or how poorly some companies set those leaders up for success. Whatever the reason, it means we're all losing out on better. Your talent today, and actually that of the future, perhaps even more so, are not inclined as or not as tolerant of outdated, unsupportive, uncaring or stale workplaces and behaviours as perhaps previous generations like mine were. Despite the uncertain economic future, and maybe even because of the uncertainty, this talent is even more resolute on finding a workplace that has a strong, authentic and visible culture that shows that it values its employees through its daily actions. But if you're not consistent, or your promise doesn't match up to reality, they won't be there for long. So what does it take to build a workplace culture driven on by compassionate, commercially savvy leaders who recognise the value their employees bring and and they work hard to provide an environment where they can develop and grow and operate at their very best every day and where they can see and be proud of the impact they're having? Well, The answers may not be as complicated or as daunting as some may have you believe. With me today is Shara Roman, who's the founder and CEO of the Silverine Group, a culture concerting firm that aligns people, strategy and culture to optimise organisational performance. She's also the author of The Conscious Workplace, How to Fortify Your Culture to Thrive in Any Crisis which means she's the perfect guest to help us pick our way through the best way to ensure we set ourselves and our people up for success in these challenging times. Welcome to the show, Shara. Hi, Andy. Thank you so much. I'm just really thrilled to be here with you today. I'm delighted you're here. And uh, I'm really looking forward to chatting through your book, which I thoroughly enjoyed, by the way. Thank you. Just a fantastic read. Um, Thank you. Before we get going into all the cool stuff we're going to get through today, how about just giving the listeners a little bit more of an intro to you and what you do and what you're focused on right now? 
Yeah, thanks. So thanks again. Really happy to be here. So yeah, a little bit about me. You know, I I am a global citizen. I was born in Bombay, India. I grew up uh, in Lagos, Nigeria. I went to school in in England, in Kent, actually, in uh, near Tunbridge Wells, and uh, went lived in Greece. Did my uh, higher education in the U.S. Um, so I sort of really grew up, uh, you know, sort of grew up all over, and. Um, what I, uh, after spending sort of 20, 25 years in, in corporate America, I decided to start my business, um, which, as you mentioned, is a silvering group, culture consultancy, back in 2016. And really, I wanted us to build better work- workplaces, right, to help leaders um, reimagine and create more inclusive workplaces. Because as someone who has sort of experienced the need to feel like they belong, right? Because I've lived in all these different places. Um, I felt that was something really important to me to allow me to thrive. And something I noticed was sort of missing in our workplaces, as you said, Andy, right? We're, we're just, uh, we have these large swaths of our workforce that are not engaged and not able to engage in a, in a great way. Um, so yeah, so that's um a little bit about me. You know, I'm a I'm a wife, I'm a mom, I'm a daughter, I'm a sister, I'm uh an, an author now, yes. entrepreneur, you know, just a, a a whole sort of bundle of of different identities that I bring into the work that I do. And I think that's really interesting and that comes through in the book in that you you use the term global citizen. I mean, if there was ever a phrase to describe someone's heritage, I mean, you claim that badge 100% right that I mean your your background is is incredibly diverse and then you have this you've mentioned the sense of belonging and again that's another theme that runs right through this book and how i think the two things combined have really influenced your view on what it really takes to build um an authentic thriving culture within businesses and i think as somebody who has talked to lots of people on this sort of stuff and is i wouldn't consider myself a geek uh in necessarily but i do love reading about and talking about this stuff it was wonderful when reading your book in particular that that a lot of the things that i've held very close to my heart and and maybe not always spoken about when i've been in business but since i've come out in the consultancy world that's all i talk about it's just wonderful to hear somebody else feel and say the same things that you're coming from such a different perspective and have so many different experiences it was it, it's wonderful and hopefully we can dig into some of that today yeah look, looking forward to it i think what would help is if we set a bit of context for some of this this conversation today and i mentioned the changing landscape and and mm-hmm. you, you feature this in the book quite a bit and, and certainly looking at the generational stuff that's going on in the workplace at the moment but from your from your work and from the research that you've done f- for the book what is the generational view of it all? And, and what are the implications that we're now seeing for, for leadership as a result? Yeah, it's a great question. And just to sort of take a, a step back, right? The reason I wrote the book um, was that I knew we could do better. Right. And just like, you know, you and I are talking, people like us are are thinking these things. And I just want us to be able to amplify those those thoughts, right? And make them just sort of part of what we do. And the book has a very simple premise, as you as you probably came away with, right? It's sort of put your people and put purpose before profits, and the profits will come, right? Don't yeah. make that the goal. Um, and that is driven a lot by what is happening sort of generationally in, in the world. You know, we've got 
our Gen Zs, who are the the folks that are 25 and under, and and actually coming after them are the Generation Alpha, who are you know 10 and younger. That we do need to start thinking about in the workplace, right? Which sounds a little crazy, but <laughs> it'll be true. here. It'll be here before we know it, right? <laughs> Um, but we've got our Gen Zs, we've got our millennials who've been in the workforce now for for quite some time, and you know, at their oldest are in their in their forties. Um, but they want to see workplaces where their voices and their opinions are valued. Mm-hmm. And this is partly because we, as parents, as society, or schools, have kind of created that forum for them to think critically, to to share their opinions, to to give voice to their ideas. To collaborate, we've always sort of said go straight to the source, right? And um, they don't they don't see the the rationale with having to maneuver through hierarchy and seven layers of permission to get a good idea to the CEO, mm. right? If they've got something that they want to talk about, they want to talk about it, and they do. They do it through their social platforms, right? If they see something they're passionate about or have a cause, they jump right in. And they start a foundation or they start a nonprofit or they start marching and they create a, they, they, they have a cause behind it. So they're incredibly empowered and they know how to navigate these sort of tools that we have, our technology tools. They're incredibly tech savvy, right? Incredibly resourceful. And what they often see in the workplace, what I hear, and I'm sure you hear, Andy, is, oh, they need to be supervised. Right. Oh, they, they, you know, they don't know how to do things. They need to be taught. And yeah, there's probably a little bit of truth to that in the sense that they haven't worked or navigated a, a workplace in the way that someone with 10, 15, 20 years experience has. But it's not that they don't know anything. They just know different things than we do. And we have to be able to allow that to sort of come um, come to life. And they're also looking for companies um, you know, that are paying attention and are addressing Social injustices that are addressing social, social, sort of the social injustices, sort of the, the socialness of our, of our world, addressing climate. Um, you know, they want the earth to be around as they grow up and potentially have children, right? They want companies to be sustainable. They want authentic and real leaders. Um, so that I think is a, a little bit about what we see out there in terms of the generations and how they they view the workplace and sort of what what they want. Yeah. And the and I guess the implications for for leadership there and we've talked about this many times on on this podcast is is a, a shift from command and control for sure. Right? To more inclusion, to more compassion, to the more human side of 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 understanding, right? And mm-hmm. and that is that isn't all about being a pushover. Correct. That, that is that is just about understanding, right? And, yes. and understanding the part that we all play. I mean, there's a lot of talk about the generational shift in that there's an entitlement and they don't really know what what they want, but they want to make impact before they've been there with five seconds. And and I think all these things get blown out of proportion. I think they just have less of a less of a like for authority in hierarchy stakes. They are skeptical about people saying that age means that they're better or more experienced. I think, you know, they they come from a world where anybody can have an idea. You know, they they, exactly. they look at their phones and kids of seven years old have got multi-million pound businesses they've built, you know, right. on, the back, on the back of YouTube or something. The yes. world's changed. It don't work like that anymore. Yes. And, and I guess 
that has set its own challenges for leadership, right? You, you must have sure. seen that that change, and you 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 cite plenty of um, examples within the book. But if you were to sum up the kind of major change in leadership, what what would you say that was? Yeah, so just you know, you alluded to to this a little bit, right? When um, when you and I grew up in the workplace, our bosses might have said jump and we would we were trained to say how high although yeah. you and I were probably thinking why yeah. are you making me jump because <laughs> this sounds like a pretty dumb idea but now these generations are empowered to do that right so they do say why like i'm they're not going to just jump right and the other thing is we were taught to compartmentalize you know all our personal stuff stays at home so you have a bad day you you know, we just had an, a, a, a shooting at, at a Walmart here, um, you know, so you wake up sort of to this news again. You can't leave that behind. I mean, no. one of my one of my colleagues in a, in a women's group is lives in that community. Right. And so she's sort of texting frantically that her her sister and brother in law were at the Walmart when the shooting oh, was happening. Right. So how do you leave the stuff to the side? You can't. No. This is who we are. These are the experiences that we have. And so, you know, as leaders, you can't you, you you can't sort of just set it and forget it in terms of your leadership um mantra or your or your style, right? You've gotta um you've gotta really think about leadership as an active um as an active act, something that you are uh, thinking about and and doing every day that you're really thinking about your people, that you're really listening to them, that you're really hearing what's going on for them and recognizing, really leading with that empathy and recognizing that every person every day is coming from a different, um, from a different space, perhaps, right? Because not we're, we're, we're human. So our, our worlds are always changing. We're experiencing things in different ways. Um, so leadership can't be the side of the desk part-time activity, right? If you're in that role, it's a really serious um, obligation and commitment. And you really need to want to lean into that and want to do that work. And, you know, I know you've talked about this with others before. We've put people often in roles of leadership who are best at what they do functionally, but really have no desire to, to care about and lead people. And you really have to sort of nurture your team and take care of them. So what we also want leaders to to be thinking about is as we manage these new generations is to be much more transparent, right? To be really in touch with what's going on. So again, it's not about giving everybody all the gory details. No, your job is also to filter information, but not to filter it in a way that you're thinking that your people are you know, that are, are kind of nincompoops, right? Um, you, you really need to recognize and, and appreciate that your staff is smart, that they're knowledgeable, that they are keeping up with what's happening. So your transparency has to be, hey, I'm going to tell you like it is. Yes, I will sort of protect you from all of some of the gory details. But I, I will tell you if, if business is not going well, I'm going to talk to you about that. I'm going to tell, well, let's have a discussion around why you think it's not going well, right? What are ideas you have? Because as a staff person, you're closest to the to the customer most often. So that notion of transparency is super important. And then we talked about the command and control, right? And so leaders really need to move more into being facilitators, being coaches, 
really allowing for that discussion versus debate, right? And we, we sort of tend to think that, oh, the, the best debater is the uh, is the smartest and and <laughs> the, the most savvy, but that's just really a skill that you're learning. And, and sometimes it's more about just talking over people as opposed to really appreciating everyone's perspective and ideas. I, I think that's so true. I also think there's parallels. You talk about that leadership style needs constant work. I think in the book, you talk about culture being iterative. You, know, you don't just set it up and then it's done. You've, it's Things change. Things happen. You need to you need to tack and change. I was only having this discussion with with a client this week about something to do with planning and all the lovely time that had been spent planning. And now they've got this wonderful plan. Yeah. And <laughs> what a surprise. Shit changes. And now, right. oh, my God, I've got to. Take, well, I've got to do something else with my plan. Yeah, because it's now ineffective. And yes. the same thing has to happen with your culture. Right? Exactly. And exactly. this generational thing, I think, about transparency is so important when we're talking about trust. And I love the way in the book you – the metaphor of the iceberg. So you have the cultural iceberg with all the kind of fluffy bits that people sort of see on top. But actually what we're looking for is where and where uh, authenticity comes is from the stuff below the waterline. Um, do you want to just ex- just give that an overview, probably better than I've just done, of, of, of how you use that in the book? Yeah, no, you did a great job. Oh. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, often what I see and I'm sure what you see and what others see is that, uh, you know, people will talk about um, – oh, we have an inclusive culture mm. or, oh, we have a really fun culture, right? And, you know, we have ping pong tables and they kind of copy whatever uh, best company, you know, best workplace um, is doing in, in on the, you know, the fortune list or whatever. And and really at the end of the day, it's it's how you show up, it's how you behave, how you act, how you hold people accountable, what those little actions are every day that sort of really speak to it. So if you say you're inclusive, right, and you plaster that on your website, but you um, shut people down in, com- in in meetings and conversations, or you um, don't let the junior person speak because you you know you think they're they're junior, um, or you have these ping pong tables, but if someone goes to play, they're frowned upon because they're not at their desk, right? Those are all yeah. the things that you're not walking the talk. So you really do need to be intentional about the culture that you want in your organization. You really want to think about how are you going to curate it and what works for you? Um, You know, to that point, I'm not a fan of Elon Musk, but Mm. he's kind of been in the news a little bit lately, right? With (laughs) all of his shenanigans over at, uh, at, at Twitter. Um, And, you know, so let me just be clear. He is not the kind of leader, uh, in my opinion, anyway, that Gen Zs and millennials are looking to work for, as we can see, mass exodus. He's. But he's, you know, right or wrong, he's really clear about what he expects. I'm so right? pleased you said that. I mean, I literally recorded another episode with someone else <laughs> the other day. I, I don't know which all of these are going to come out, but we were talking on this very thing. And I think the point was being made, well, that's not really great for involvement. And I said exactly what you just said. Yeah, but there's a dark part of me that actually I'm okay with it because he's being really clear about what his culture is. And therefore, people that are going to come to that are given fair warning. This is what it's going to be like here. Exactly. My boss, um, one of my favorite bosses that I talk about all the time, um, and I actually just had lunch with him the other week, and I I told him this, but, um, you know, he always, he would say to me, when we'd have these conversations around sort of engagement and turnover and all of that, um, 
was he'd say, Shara, people have to opt in. And there is a component of that. So I'm not saying that I agree with what Elon is doing. Mm -hmm. I, uh, you know, uh, that's a whole nother podcast (laughs) that we can, we can talk about, but, but at the end of the day, he's being really clear about what he, what he wants. And, um, he's leading with his level of authenticity. Now, again, I don't think it's a recipe for success. Um, but you know what, he's the billionaire and I'm not. So yeah, there we go. We'll, we'll, we'll see. But, um, but honestly, I, I, yeah, well, you can see right there, there's so much research that's been done about companies that do things differently and are successful. So, um, anyway, sorry, that was a, a, no, a no. sidetrack on, on the culture iceberg, but essentially at the end of the day, what you see, uh, or what you talk about has to be what people get. And I use the sort of the analogy, right. Um, of, of a, a store window that because I like to shop and as you walk by a window, right, if the if the mannequins and the window has sort of this sort of beautiful setup, and it's very aesthetically pleasing, you expect that when you go inside the store. And if you don't get that, then you're sort of left a little bit like you've been tricked, right? And you've been yeah. sort of, um, uh, you know, you've been tricked into walking into the into the place. So that's the same thing with with a workplace culture. And just sort of building on that intentionality for a bit, what, I mean, there's a ton of, clearly a ton of research in the book, lots of different examples that that, that you go through. But on top of that intentionality, what has all of that research told you about the importance behind cultivating the right culture? Um, and, and what would be some sort of standout things that you would you would call to memory? Yeah. So culture is, I think, the big differentiator, right? You know, we've got all the quotes out there of culture eats strategy for breakfast, lunch and dinner, et cetera. But essentially it's, you know, it's fundamentally the differentiator and the accelerator of sustainable business because it it goes back to sort of that iceberg, right? Of of, it's, it's around how we work. Um, so when you think about your, your values and your behaviors and how you walk the talk, Hmm. um, consciously continuously and consciously examining how people are behaving and how you're holding people accountable right and i think that accountability piece is super important yeah because we often see um you know the the rainmakers as an example um getting excused for their bad behavior well you know so and so is allowed to do whatever or it's not even explicitly said but you know, they're bringing in millions of dollars in revenue. And so everyone sort of just dances around them. And that's where the courage comes in for a leader to really sort of make that decision around if our value is around in, our values, or, you know, include inclusion, or they include collaboration, or they include no jerk rules, whatever they are, right? And we all have some variation of that kind of thing. Sure. And then we allow that, you know, you, you've just eroded all of the hard work you might have done with just that simple act of letting someone hang along, hang around, um, because then it looks like you don't have courage, that you're talking out of both sides of your mouth, you erode the trust, right? All of those things start to to happen. And, you know, it, it takes sort of 10 little deposits in the bank to build trust, but it just takes one activity to sort of wipe it all away. So um, that sort of you know, one, one piece, another example we see, and, and 
people sort of talk about, oh, we want to be one company, right? One, whatever that company's name is. And that's a very kind of common thing right now. And then you see that uh, there aren't, there isn't support for collaboration. There isn't support for sort of uh, distributed decision decision making. There isn't support for all all voices, all different departments to come to the table sort of in an equitable way, yeah. right? It still is, oh, sales or marketing or finance has a bigger voice than this other group. So you really have to be very, um, very thoughtful about what is it, what it is that you're trying to curate, you know, so setting that sort of mission and purpose and values and being really clear and then thinking about what are those leadership behaviors? How am I going to ensure that my leaders are role modeling what I expect this organization to see? Um, how am I building that capability with my, with my team, right? Do people understand what those values are? Do they understand what those behaviors are? Do they understand what it's not like? Like sometimes we have to also be clear about this is what we, what we want to see. And this is not what we want to see. And that helps to differentiate. And then finally, you've got to you've got to reward and recognize that, or you've got to you've got to have the carrot and the sticks, right? And so, I'm not saying throw people out on their backside or you know fire people at, at the drop of a hat, but at the end of the day, if someone isn't living up to the values, you've got to figure out a way to hold them accountable, no matter what they're doing for your company. I think that comes entirely back to that whole intentional attitude towards this mm -hmm. stuff. I mean, showing that something is important is important to use rubbish words and, yeah. <laughs> and, and and i'm passionate about this stuff because i was definitely the guy that let uh technically very good people get away with murder and i i deeply regret it and and mm -hmm. that's why I, I kind of talk about it a lot because i i feel like i've let them down and what could they have possibly been if i'd picked it up but also the knock-on effect ahead for other people right, um exactly. that, that's 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 huge and i also think i love the point you make about the the, the, the cornerstones of purpose, mission, values are important. And when people go, well, is it important? You know, we've got, we don't really, they don't really do much. Well, no, because you're not intentional in their use. If there's no point having these things, if you're not going to use them, if they're not helping you make day-to-day -day decisions, if they're not with you at tough times, and your book is about dealing with tough times, right? Mm -hmm. um, these are the times when you should be leaning on the values. It's easy to kind of like circumnavigate them in tough times. It's It's harder but truer to use them as a force for good and, and keep you on the right track right so so important so i'm i'm a what a surprise i'm a hundred percent with you on, on that on those things Sharon. i think what was really interesting for me in the book and something that i see as problematic in lots of places that that i read about or or work with is sometimes the nervousness or inability to be able to transfer ownership for these items and behavior that goes towards delivering the success um, and transferring that ownership to employees. You've mentioned before that, you know, you've got to opt in sometimes you've got to stand up and do your bit. It's not all about the employer, but have you got a secret recipe or have you found a formula where actually there is an opportunity to get successful transfer of ownership for this stuff? Cause that's where the magic happens, right? I agree. That is where the magic happens and ownership um looks, I think, comes in many different shapes and forms, right? I think people automatically think about ownership as a piece of the pie. Right. And that can be one form of ownership. And and actually in the book we talk about King Arthur Flower, right? And and funnily enough, so I typically work with sort of more services types of organizations. Mm -hmm. Um but as we were doing our research, there were 
such a plethora of really interesting companies that are doing really great work, right? Companies that we may not necessarily think about. Um, you know, I buy King Arthur Flower. I'm a big fan of theirs, but I never really thought about them as a company, right? The, yeah, well, the, of, the story like, behind it all. All, all the yeah. good stuff, right? Yeah. And so here's this organization that, um, and, you know, I'll give you a couple of examples of sort of the ownership piece, but uh, you know, it was owned by, um, it was family owned for 30 plus years. And as the the couple who was uh, running it decided or was thinking about retirement, they said, or, you know, what do we do with this company? We don't want to just sell it to a bunch of strangers. Our employees um, are, have really been a part of our family. Mm. And they had been using their values to hire employees that fit those values, right? And so I, I want to be clear, this is not about culture fit, no. right? It, 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 But it was really about finding people who believed in what they believed in, right? That were really passionate about, about baking, that were really competitive, that, you know, had sort of those values that were important to them. And they said, well, let's actually start to give away parts of our company, right? And they started to transfer ownership through an ESOP. Now, I'm not an ESOP expert. We're not going to get into that. <laughs> Obviously, you have a global listening base. And so ownership and structuring of companies is going to look different. But essentially, they gave part of their company, and now it's 100% owned, right? And so that is like the truest form of, of ownership from a financial perspective. Sure. But another company that we talk about that distributed ownership, right? So ownership is around, if, if you and I own our own businesses, and, and so what does that look like, right? It's making decisions. It's really sort of Thinking about what are what are deals we're going to pursue? What are the kinds of clients we want to work with? What's the kind of work we want to do? Um, who do we want to do it with? Uh, you know, all those sort of different things. And the more that you can take those concepts and distribute them down further into your organization and gather input, the more people are going to feel connected to your company, and more they're going to feel like they own it and that they're res- they're responsible for its success. And that's what you, that's what you want. So this company, Lisa, a, a manu, a, a, a mattress manufacturer, um, was, was doing really well. They're a B Corp. And, um, uh, in the midst of COVID, the, in a very purpose driven, very community focused, um, organization in the midst of COVID, they, they were actually having a few bumps in the organization. And they also decided that they really wanted to help their community and um, create more beds for hospitals, right? Because if you remember three years ago, we had massive shortage of, of beds. Same um, here, and, same yeah. in this country, yeah. So it was just a worldwide um, sort of issue. And so they actually brought everyone together. They were able to break down barriers. They included all the staff in sort of thinking through how do we really tackle this challenge? And they were able to push more collaboration. They were much more inclusive with with their sort of the think, thinking and the decision making and they were able to shorten the time to make a mattress from 9 months to 3 weeks. Isn't that I mean, great? That is pretty insane, right? <laughs> That's brilliant. And so it wasn't a bunch of really smart, you know, leaders who knew everything sitting in a room and coming up with the answer. It was crowdsourcing essentially and going back to our, you know, very first sort of question right around um the generations this is how they function, right? Go. They want an answer. They crowdsource it. They they check Google. Google's their best friend. So you have to sort of really tap into 
um, you know, what, what's happening in the world, what's changing. And so here's sort of a, just a great example of how do you really create ownership? Well, you empower people to come up with ideas. You empower them to make decisions. You, you sort of give them that, that light and that life to, to go, um, to go do that. You know, other ways to foster ownership are to literally, uh, include your staff in strategic planning. You mentioned earlier on, Andy, you were working with this client who's been working on this plan. Mm. I'm going to venture a guess that it was a select group of leaders that were off on an <laughs> offsite for three days in some fun little you know, retreat somewhere. And yet the staff often have really good ideas, right? And because again, they're the ones closest to the clients. They're the ones interacting on a day-to-day basis with, with the people who are coming and buying from you as a company. And so um, some of the firms that we we work with, you know, we've kind of shifted to helping them when they're doing a strategic planning exercise to really uh, not just do a culture survey or a diversity survey, right? Those are really important to understand sort of the lay of the land, but to, to really um, generate input from their folks to say, here, here are some ideas we have for the future. Here are some of the roadblocks we see as it relates to our strategy or as it relates. So those are all different ways to, um, to generate that ownership, uh, you know, that ownership mentality and, and get people sort of thinking in a, in a way that helps them really buy into what you're doing and why you're doing it. I, I think that is really a, a very sensible framework for that sort of stuff. I think it, the big difference. I think in the examples that you give in the book and the fact that stuff like Lisa continues to this day, I think their working, their working practices are now changed, right? Yeah, exactly. Is that there's a massive difference between the top down tell where businesses have maybe good intentions, but it's all kind of right. You must do this. And then they wonder why adults don't like being told how to behave and nothing <laughs> changes right. um, to a, a, an environment where you have got in, genuine involvement, empowerment, collaboration, and responsibility, because those I think those are the key pieces to actually getting stuff done in a way where people really do more than just I'm a job's worth and that's what my that's not my pay grade, that's not this, that's not the other. They really get on with stuff. I think yeah. really again keeps coming back to the word intentional. <laughs> if you're intentional in those four things, marvelous things happen. Yeah. And and I just want to add to that, you know, just in case people are listening and sort of saying, Oh, this works in a small company. <laughs> Or, you know, it's a couple of hundred. But just to underscore the point, when I worked at CGI, we had about 70,000 global employees. And I remember the first year I was there, we actually only had like 40,000. And this strategic planning survey, which is sort of where I sort of became first accustomed to it uh, or introduced to it, came out. And I was like, you're going to ask everybody in the company, like, what are you, crazy? (laughs) And then I was able to see the results and the feedback. And I was like, oh, my gosh this was insane. And look at the feedback and insights we've gotten. That's even more insane, right? Like in a good way. So they were able to manage that. And now CGI is even bigger, right? And so you you can't just sort of say, oh, it works for a 100 or 200 person company. It's not going to work with a global company. It absolutely does. So size should not, um, size should not sort of let people, um, uh, should not get in the way of them of, of them sort of pursuing this absolutely not the benefit is the benefit it might be a bit exactly. a little more complex to handle but the benefit yes. is there for everybody to have before i run out of time let's just you just mentioned survey i just want to dig into something else that i think comes through in that 
in engagement surveys, this whole thing around, particularly around the question about having a best friend at work and how yeah. important that is. It's, it's obviously it's, it's a question that sometimes breeds a very sharp eyebrow raise from some execs. Why on earth do I want to know if they've got friends? Explain it from your point of view. I know how where I come from on this, but I want to hear <laughs> what you've got to say. Well, I will say the first time I heard about the best friend at work piece was, you know, probably back in 2006 or 2007 um, when we were working with with Gallup and I read yeah. the book Vital Friends and all of that. And I was a little skeptical myself. So I'll just sort of put that out there. <laughs> okay. But what at the end of the day, what the research shows and sort of what the reality is, is that we spend a significant part of our day at work. Now, we may not be physically in an office anymore, but we're at work and we're collaborating and talking to people. And so if we don't have a friend at work, it does have a negative impact. And what the data shows, what all of the sort of the results show is when you have a friend at work, it is the key to you being happy. It is the key to you being feeling safe. It is... um and sort of why is that, right? It's because you, when you have a friend, like, and think about a friend that you might have, mm. it's someone who has your back. It's someone who is going to support you um, no matter what, but they're also going to give you straight talk, right? There's someone that you can vent to. Um, there's someone that uh, helps recognize your accomplishments, helps to maybe spread the word in the organization, um, and so when all of those environments or, or those criteria are there, the environment becomes a lot more psychologically safe for us, right? So we feel more included. We feel like we can um, take more risks. We can sort of challenge what's going on because we know that we have someone there who understands our perspective, understands our point of view that has our back. Yeah. And when we can be more psychologically safe and when we know that we have a buddy or or two or three, right? We can be more creative. We can challenge the status quo. We can really bring our full selves in. And when we can do all of that, it is better for the organization. Sure. So it's a, it's again, it's a, a very sort of simple thing. It's a little corny in a way. It's like a best friend, you know, and I know people would sort of dissect what does best friend mean? And, and you know, and I think that executives do that because they just want to deflect a little bit sometimes, right? <laughs> but at the end of the day, what what it what it's what it's saying is you gotta have people that you feel care about you and that trust you. And of course, the more that you have, just the better it's it's going to be. And it's going to be a place that you want to stay because you are there for other reasons than just a paycheck or just the work that you're doing. And the more that we can connect all of those elements, right? It's not, you don't want one tether to an organization. You want multiple tethers. And that best friend tether is a very strong tether. Absolutely. And for me, brings us full circle back to, the, I guess, the strong thing coming through the book about a sense of belonging and having that kind of relationship is really, really important in all of that. But all the other things that we've talked about today also foster this this spirit of belonging. I mean, um, unbelievably, we're getting to the end of the show already. Yeah. I know, it's just madness. Um, <laughs> so what I like to do, Shara, I have this part of the show I call Sticky Notes, and it is just my way of asking you to summarise what you think the key takeaways for my audience are. And in this context, we're trying to build a stronger workplace culture with this spirit of belonging in there what would you leave behind on your three little sticky notes today 
Can they be pink sticky notes? I, I will make them pink on the Instagram excellent. channel. No problem at all. Then. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. So I'm going to channel. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, so, well, no surprise here. Uh, the first sticky note would be be intentional with your culture, right? Be conscious with your culture because you're going to have a culture either way. So it's best to choose the one that you want, right? <laughs> yes. And and let your culture be your North Star in terms of guiding everything that you do. So that's the first sticky note. The second one is just to really nurture your talent. And by that, it's, you know, more listening, less talking. Um, when you're listening, keep an open mind uh, about what you're hearing from your workforce. And recognize that one size does not fit all. So you really have to understand and lean into and believe that every employee has unique needs to help them thrive and belong. And then the third is, is sort of what we talked about in terms of fostering an ownership mentality, right? And so provide autonomy, distribute decision-making, as scary as it might be, give people opportunity to share their voice, um, to kind of, uh, you know, incubate and sort of deliberate their ideas, to share their ideas, encourage experimentation, uh, and then root in the why and connect both the, the personal purpose and the company purpose, because that's an important part of ownership as well, right? You've got to really be connected from an internal perspective to what the organization is doing. So be intentional with your culture, you know, nurture talent with more listening, uh, less talking, and foster an ownership mentality. Brilliant. Brilliant. I love those. I will promise that they will be pink uh, on Excellent. the Instagram channel so you can see them. I'll make them as sparkly as I possibly can. Perfect. Put glitter on there too. <laughs> but all joking aside, they are three very good tenants on which to build and foster a, a, a wonderfully intentional um, enabling culture of belonging. I think that would be brilliant. Shara, I cannot thank you enough for coming on the show today and and sending me the book and, and going through it today. It's just it's, it's been marvelous. Thank you so much. It has been my pleasure, Andy. What a great way to start my Thanksgiving weekend. Yes. Well, look, you must away. Go and have a glass of something sparkly and yes. uh, please enjoy enjoy yourself. <laughs> and you. uh, I, I look forward to seeing you again soon. Yeah, me too, Andy. Thank you so much. Have a great week. Okay, take Bye. care. Okay, everyone. That was Shara Roman. And if you'd like to find out a bit more about her or any of the things that we've talked about in today's show, including the book, please check out the show notes. So that concludes today's episode. I hope you've enjoyed it, found it interesting and heard something maybe that will help you become a stickier, more successful business from the inside going forward. If you have, please like, comment and subscribe it really helps. I'm Andy Gorham, and you've been listening to the Sticky from the Inside podcast. Until next time, thanks for listening.